hey, hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Amazing Seller Podcast. This is episode number 692, and today I'm excited because I've got my good friend on, also the Brand Accelerator Live Planner, Chief Operator, whatever you want to call yourself, Kevin. Uh, We've got him on the show today to talk (laughs) about selling internationally. And the reason why I wanted you to come back on, a couple different reasons. One of the main reasons is I just received a question on Friday, which I already answered in a sense, but I needed someone like you to come on and really give us the simple plan to actually get started. Where should we start? Also, what marketplaces should we start? And then some of the some of the hoops that we might have to jump through and kind of get rid of that scary that scary stuff that people are concerned with because when she asked the question a lot of it was like I don't want to make a mistake I don't want to check the wrong box I don't want you know me to get in trouble in the future for taxes and um, you know all of that stuff so I want to go in and create a simple plan for people to really mm-hmm. follow in this episode um, and then also just I mean I like hanging out with you and talking so why not like it gives us an excuse to hang out and talk plus we could talk a little bit about brand accelerator live why not you're gonna be there speaking on this topic, by the way. Um, but yeah, so how's things been going on your end, man? Things are going well. And to your point, I'm a man of many hats and, uh, it's nice to put on the, uh, the hangout and chat with Scott hat for a moment. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I, um, I was, uh, recently just talking to Mike Jackness and who's also going to be a speaker at a writing accelerator live. And I said, you know, it's, it's always fun to think of, you know, we're having these conversations and we're allowing other people to be a fly on the walls. We're having these conversations. So it's, yeah. uh, it's always, it's always kind of fun. So it really is. It's, it's a lot of fun to be able to, like you said, just have these conversations that we normally would be having. Um, but in today's episode, we are going to be drilling down into, I think one of your, one of your super talents, and that is getting into the weeds of selling internationally because a lot of people are held off by that. They're intimidated by it. I, I'm speaking from experience myself. Um, you know, didn't even want to uh, touch it before um, I, I kind of ran into you and we said, you know what, we should probably test it. What market should we start with? Um, what are What's Amazon doing? Because they're actually saying that they're going to help you and should we let them help us? And mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to address those things as well. But before we do, We should mention that Brand Accelerator Live is happening in September, and Kevin is going to be there as one of the speakers. He will Mm -hmm. also be there coordinating things, making sure that everything is running good. But the other cool thing is, and this is the great thing about being at a live event, and I know Mike had talked about this as well, being there in person, there's nothing that you can can say that compares to that. The relationships you build, the, the pocket full of friends that you leave with, the relationships, all that stuff happens at a live environment. And also if it's selected as far as like the people there are selected properly, right, you know, right mindset, you know, the the same vision, what we're doing and Brand Accelerated Live is exactly that small, intimate group under 300. So this way here, we we can make sure that people can really get to, uh, to get the most out of it and be able to ask you questions in the hall, right? Like if you're in the hall and you see Kevin and you're like, hey, you talked about this. I have a couple questions. You're like, sure. Like, most events, I don't want to say all, but most events, they have big speakers. Speakers come in, they talk for 45 minutes, maybe an hour, and they leave, right? We don't want that. We want our event to be, you know, so we, you can come in and approach the speakers, and they're going to be part of the attendees. So just think of it that way. So brandacceleratorlive.com, there's my little shameless plug. You should definitely go over and grab your tickets um, because once they are sold, we will have a wait list. And I know as we get closer, that is going to happen. And when that happens, um, there's nothing that we can do because we only have enough room 
in this space that we've already signed for. Um, so we will have our hands tied at that point. So definitely go grab your tickets. All right. So Kevin, with that all being said, let's dive in. Why should people even consider um, going international? Let's answer that question first. Great question. And think of it this way. If Amazon is an ocean and you're fishing for customers, do you want a small net or do you want a bigger net? Because at a certain point, as you're taking your net through the ocean and you're Mm. catching fish, you're going to catch more fish with a wider net. Mm. So it's what can we do to cast a wider net? Now, there's certain things you can do to cast a wider net. You can add on more products. You can find more keywords and things of that nature. But some of those come with a little bit more risk. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, if you add another product, you're putting forward more money that you could be doing in other things in your business. So the th- way I like to look at it is selling internationally is one of the easiest ways to take your existing products, put it up for sale in, let's say, Canada or Europe or wherever else that Amazon has marketplaces mm-hmm. um, just about all over the world. They keep adding more. Mm-hmm. Um And what it comes down to is as you create a wider net, you will catch more fish. So if you're going to, you know, go into international marketplaces, you could be adding 10, 20, 30% more sales of what you're already doing just by copying your listings over, filling out a few forms, and then just sending inventory. Sounds pretty easy, but... We know it's not that easy, Kevin, especially when, you know, you like to go through those, those hoops of like paperwork. I mean, you don't like it, but you're, you're, <laughs> you're good at it and you like spreadsheets. Come on, let's face it now. You do like, I, you, you, I, I do like spreadsheets. I do, do like processes. I do like, um, I look at the world as a puzzle. Yeah. I like to look at the world as a puzzle of how we put little pieces together. And I like to help other people figure out how to put those pieces together. And that's one of the things with international. Now, one of the things I will say with international is there are hoops you do have to jump through. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you've jumped through those hoops, you have a sustainable other channel, mm-hmm. really, where you're bringing in additional revenue for your business that you don't have to keep jumping through those same hoops the same way. Mm-hmm. So people get a little bit concerned about selling internationally Mm -hmm. because, you know, there's uh, the money is different, the worry about taxes, and we can go into, Mm -hmm. you know, how to mitigate a lot of that concern. So it's, it's a relative, once you kind of figure out the, 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 the ingredients that, you know, you just put the cake in the oven and you bake it. Right. Right. Okay. So the one, the one thing I want to ask you, uh, I don't know if I've even ever asked you this uh, publicly, I might have behind the scenes, but like, okay, Maybe. Amazon will show up in your seller's central account and it'll say, mm-hmm. Hey, want to start selling in Canada? Hey, want to start selling in Europe? And we'll help you with that. Why shouldn't someone just do that? Like, or, or should they do that? Like, what's the, what's, what's the, I guess, what's the upside? What's the downside? What should I know about that before I click? Yes, I want to start selling and have them kind of set everything up for me or help me set everything up. Sure. So that's a great question. And I get contacted by Amazon, you know, to go into additional marketplaces that I haven't even gone into yet. Mm-hmm. Like they just recently asked me to go into like the UAE. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that's great. Now, I would say consider it. Like mm-hmm. anytime Amazon calls you, you should at least listen to what they have to say. Mm-hmm. Now, on that note, um, 
just keep in mind, and I'm saying this not to bash on Amazon, but I've worked in large corporations and I know everybody in a large corporation has their little silo of what they understand and what their goals are. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even within large corporations, you could have people that are in silos that are right next to each other mm-hmm. that are actually competing yeah. and they're not really on the same page. Mm-hmm. So the challenge I've found yeah. that if you're working with Amazon to get into an international marketplace, their goal might just to get you to say yes. Mm-hmm. And then maybe, or maybe they truly are doing it just to help you. Mm-hmm. And, but they might not understand all the pieces of the puzzle because they just haven't lived it. And that's mm-hmm. one thing I like to preach on, so to speak, of selling internationally because I have actually lived each step of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. And I've had Amazon help me. And like, for example, like they did my translations to get into Japan mm-hmm. and they even admitted later on down the road that it like wasn't probably the translations weren't as good as they had hoped okay. they would be. Cause okay. it's, and there's, you know, there's just little things of like, nobody understands the full picture like someone else who's actually lived it. Mm. No, that's, it's true. And I, I think it's important to understand what you just said there too, as far as like, it almost seems like sometimes there's, there's departments or categories that are competing with each other within Amazon itself. I I recently just had, um, one of our inner circle members and actually I, I, I actually released it on the podcast. It was a Voxer message that he sent me and it was about them introducing him and wanting him to try out this new beta program of fulfilled by merchant because he's doing a lot of fulfilled by merchant himself. They do a hundred units plus a day fulfilled by merchant. And they're like, well, we have a new program that we're going to actually come to your location and pick them up and send them out for you. So you don't have to do it. Um, it'll make it more efficient. It'll, you know, take weight off of you and you can keep doing what you're doing. And he's like, sign me up. And so he did. And then come to find out that things were a little bit quirky and the orders weren't getting sent out. And so he started getting negative feedback on his account. He contacted Amazon and they go, Oh, that's that department. Like you got to deal with them. Right. And then, so then he's dealing with them and they're like, Oh no, that's the other department. You got to deal with them. So now all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute here. Aren't you guys the same company? And so, you know, he, um, he, he came out okay, but they were threatening to suspend his account for 90 days. And here's a guy that's doing a million dollars plus a year, um, in his business, just on the Amazon channel. He does other things in his, he's got a brick and mortar and he's got Mm -hmm. some online, other, other online sales, but you know, he had a good solid revenue stream coming in there. So again, to your point, you know, sometimes just because uh, the easy route is to have them do it doesn't necessarily mean it always is. So you got to be careful with that. On that note, though, I got a quick question for you that just kind of came top of my head. Uh, mm-hmm. If let's say, for example, I'm in the in the U.S. right now, I'm selling and I go to Canada or I go to, uh, I don't know, Germany or whatever. Well, let's say that my account in the U.S. is under review or could be possibly suspended. Does that t- does that also affect my other accounts? The short answer is it depends. So that's no a Chris magic. Schaefer answer, man. That's a Chris, <laughs> right, exactly. that's a Chris Schaefer. There, that's there, a t-shirt no, right there. There's no guarantee in that because, you know, Amazon ultimately can control that. And just like anything, if you were to call yeah. seller central and talk to 10 different people, take, you might yeah. get 12 different answers yeah, for right. the same question. Right. So, but I can tell you from experience, a couple of things. So my very first product, um, the Christmas before last, it got 
flagged right in the middle of when it was selling pretty good number of units per day Mm -hmm. around the holidays, it got flagged as potentially hazardous. There's absolutely nothing potentially hazardous. There's no batteries. There's no chemicals. There's nothing. Mm. And it got suspended, suspended, suppressed, whatever word they want to use. It was no longer for sale for customers for about a week during the busiest time period. That sucks. When that happened, it was still selling in Europe. It was still selling in Canada. So I was still getting some sales Mm -hmm. off of that product, even though it was suspended or whatever the word they wanted. Under review, whatever. Under review. Suppressed. Suppressed. (laughs) Yes. So whenever it was no longer for sale in the US. Okay. So also when I went into Japan, um, and this is sometimes you don't always know the answers you're going to get. And right. I don't mean to like, I, I like the guy that, you know, helped me. So I don't mean this as a negative, but like the form to fill out for Amazon in Japan uh-huh. was in Japanese. Okay. And there's in Chrome, a button you could translate it and I could figure out what all the questions were. Sometimes things in, you know, machine translations aren't exactly the same, but you right. kind of figure it out. Right. But the drop down for country was not translated. It was all in Japanese characters. Yeah. So I like looked up United States and Google Translate and tried to compare the characters to right. what was in there and I couldn't find it. So I sent a screenshot of what I thought it might be to my rep and I said, which one should I pick? Yeah. He goes, oh, don't worry about it. Just pick one and we'll change it later. Oh, well, gosh. Yeah, I picked Azerbaijan. Oh, no. Which is on the Amazon no-fly list. So if you live in Azerbaijan, you're not going to get an account with Amazon. Oh, my gosh. So they suspended my Japanese account. Okay. Like, right there off the bat. It had no bearing on Europe or North America. Okay. So U.S. and Canada, they were still happening. So it could be if you're selling privileges in general get with Amazon, get shut down, you could lose the totality of it. But if you have some of these quirky little situations, which is more what you hear people have than just everything gets shut down right. or like maybe a product gets suspended or, or under review or something like that, you could still potentially have other sales happening elsewhere. Okay. Okay, good. All right. So let's, let's kind of give people like a, you know, down and dirty, like let's, figure out if number one, we're going to sell internationally, where should we start? And what are some of the things that we need to be um, prepared for? Great question. So when you're selling internationally, just understand there's really two buckets of taxes. Like as taxes is kind of the thing everyone oh, yeah. worries about. Yep. So there's two taxes you have to worry about. So let's just assume you or a US-based seller. If you're not, you can kind of fill in the blanks of what I'm saying here. But generally speaking, the way it works with treaties is that, and I'm not giving tax advice here, so please consult your appropriate yes. tax. Yes. Uh, not a le- we're, none of us are legal advisors and we don't nope. pretend to be either. And I don't play one on TV. I don't want to play one on TV. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. However, with that said, generally what happens is you have some sort of sales tax Mm -hmm. and you have some sort of income tax. Mm -hmm. So the customer is supposed to pay some sort of tax and you as the seller are supposed to file and remit, basically pay that tax. So you're just passing it along. Sales tax. Yeah, it's a sales tax. Right. So one of the things that we get so stuck in in this country is 
there's a lot of gray area. Sure there is. Even with a Supreme Court ruling that was going to make it a lot more black and white, we still find that the it's constantly changing. And it, you know, even if you talk to a sales tax expert, they're never going to tell you it's black and white. They're even going to tell you it depends. You know? It depends. <laughs> it depends. Mm-hmm. So the nice thing is when you start getting into other countries, oftentimes sales taxes at a federal level and if there is some level of state or provincial tax, it's a much smaller scale. Gotcha. So generally speaking, you're going to have some sort of registration for a sales tax, which they might call GST, HST, goods and services tax, harmonized sales tax is what they call it in Canada. Or in Europe, they call it VAT or VAT mm-hmm. for value-added tax. Mm-hmm. So you pay that. And really, you're just collecting it from the customer and passing it along, essentially. And then you have income tax. Mm. Now, income tax would still go for those those of us in the U.S. to Uncle Sam. So just Mm. as you would make um, sales uh, in U.S. dollars to U.S. customers, you might be making it in Canadian dollars to Canadian customers. But it's just sixth grade level math to convert it into... U.S. dollars and bookkeepers know how to do this kind of stuff. You're not sure that basically Amazon will even give you a 1099 form, which is what you get at the end of the year that says what your sales were um, so that you can report and pay taxes to the U.S. government. So all you're doing is just if you make, you know, an extra $20,000 in profit, you're just paying another $20,000 taxes on that other $20,000 in profit. Mm -hmm. And, People say, oh, well, I got to pay more taxes. Well, you made more profits. So you brought in more money. So just you're paying it like you have to pay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So, and that that is one of the big issues, right? Like taxes, people are always, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Like sales tax and all that stuff. And we got a little dog stuff going on here, but we're going to keep right. rolling here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like Brody's getting a little upset with Maisie over there because she must be getting into something she shouldn't be. So um, yeah, he's, he's holding down the fort here. So <laughs> he's always got to get his word in too. Uh, so... Okay, so the way that I'm gathering it here is it's it's like sales tax. Like we all kind of understand sales tax. It's pretty it's pretty basic that if mm-hmm. and again it's I say it's basic, but that's still kind of like a discussion that can go in a hundred different directions. But if you if you are collecting sales tax in a certain state, you need to basically collect it from the customer, and then from there you're going to uh, you're going to pay that. You're just basically transferring it over to mm-hmm. you know the state, and the same thing goes here in the country. You're doing the very, the very, very same thing. And once you set this thing up, it's, you don't necessarily have to worry about it, or you can have an accountant or, um, your bookkeeper do it for you. Um, but I think the hardest part for a lot of people is just getting that stuff set up. And then in a way where they don't have to necessarily think about it all that much. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, I get that, right. You want to kind of know that it's taken care of. You're doing things in the right order. You're not going to get flagged, um, or any of that stuff. Now, is there any certain amount of money that you, if you make up to that some rules or some things don't apply, or is it, if you just make any, you know, up to a certain number, it's fine. Or, you know, or then you have to start paying a certain other tax or is it just pretty much straight across the board? To keep things very simple, when you're starting out, just assume you're going to have to register at least at a federal level in most countries. Okay. So we'll just use Canada and the UK as two examples because they're English speaking. They're based, their laws are based on English common law. So mm-hmm. like they kind of, they're sure. not the same as the U S but you kind of are going to yeah. follow the flow of how things work okay. pretty easily. So, um, 
So to, to answer the question of, you know, it's, it's just a matter of getting registered and getting up and going. And then, you know, to your point, you can have, um, there's inexpensive services out there. Well, that'll do a lot of it for you okay. that are, you know, reasonably priced. Like I use a VASC for um, accounting in Europe and sales tax and more as a company out of Texas, actually okay. Canadian taxes as well. And okay. they can inform you okay. if, as things move along. Okay. Okay, cool. All right. Now let me ask you this too. How important is it to kind of look at your product or your keywords or whatever before you even decide to sell in that marketplace? So, you know what I mean? Like if you're thinking about going into Canada, you're thinking about going in, and I think you've always said Canada is probably the least amount of effort to get kind of going at first. Um, so if we use that one for an example, how important is it to just go there and kind of just do a little bit of research to see, you know, what's selling, how it's selling. And I mean, who knows, maybe even your product's already there selling. I've seen that happen before as well. Someone else is, is kind of taking your product and they start selling it because they're buying it from you, but they're selling it for more on Canada because things sell for more on Canada. Um, I've seen that before. Great question. And so I invite anyone to just pick a marketplace, go to amazon.ca or amazon.co.uk. Um, and you may find your product already for sale there. Mm -hmm. I you sale in some of the quotes. So, you know, going back to, it's essentially just sixth grade level math to figure out the ratio. So like it's about $1 in the U S is about $1.33 Canadian. So you might see your product for sale. So like, let's say you sell a product for $30 in the U S that should be roughly $40 in Canada in okay. Canadian dollars. Mm -hmm. You might see it for sale for like 120 Canadian dollars, mm. but it's like who on earth would pay that much? Right. People are willing to pay a little bit higher pricing in Canada mm -hmm because they either live in a big expensive city like Vancouver or Toronto, mm -hmm. or they live out in the boondocks and there's not a lot of stores nearby. And so they're just willing to spend sure. money to have stuff on Amazon right. delivered to them. But they're not three X what the equivalent price right. would be in the U S. Right, right. So if you see that it's what's usually called a gray listing mm -hmm. and Amazon knows it's a problem. I think sometimes they go in and they clear them out, but then they all come back. So it might be there. It might not be there. But just know if it's there, you will get the buy box instantaneously if you have if you're selling it, especially with your inventory mm -hmm. in their um, in their fulfillment centers in those countries. So I wouldn't worry about those. Okay. Now, as far as like validating, does your product sell? Mm -hmm. Look and see if similar products to yours. Are, are selling. Mm -hmm. So you can use a tool like Jungle Scout and Jungle Scout works in North America mm -hmm. and in Europe. Don't get too hung up on the numbers because oftentimes, you know, like a product may have fewer variations. The mm -hmm. same product your competitor has may have fewer variations in Canada than it does here. But like if it's making sales anecdotally mm -hmm. in Canada, people tend to say that they will sell about 10% of their total sales in the US they'll see in Canada adjusted for the, uh, okay. the currency. And for me, it's typically around 13%. Okay. So, you know, that's a nice addition just by sending in the product. Mm. And then as far as like, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, is there something regulatory about my product? So think of it this way. If someone is selling it, then chances are you can sell it too. So right. there might be a hoop you have to jump through. Most products don't have a lot of hoops, but um, like if you're in supplement category, like I'm working um, with a factory right now, potentially to mm -hmm. help some of their uh, clients get launched. And um, 
their supplement category has a few more hoops to jump through in some countries. Mm-hmm. But like if you're selling most products that, especially if they're not being ingested, mm. there's usually not a lot you have to worry about, especially in English common law type countries. Okay. The other question I know I, I get a lot is, well, I don't have a ton of inventory to send in there. Um, I'll have to wait until I get more inventory or I'll have to designate a number of, uh, you know, units for there. What, what's a good number that someone could say, you know, for me to kind of test this thing and how would I go about doing that? That's a great question. So, you know, sometimes people have in their mind, like if my MOQ is a thousand for the U S I don't want to order another thousand to go into another country where I might sell 10, 15, right. 20%. Right. So they, they kind of have that hurdle in their head. And I've listened to a lot of people that have said that, but if you think of it this way, if you're going to sell, let's say 10, 15%, you only need 10, 15% of the inventory. And oftentimes when you're going into another uh, marketplace, you're really not totally starting over from scratch, but sort of starting over with a new algorithm, I'll say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So your reviews will oftentimes carry over that they'll at least be visible. Mm -hmm depending on sometimes Amazon plays with it where you can see it in the search page or you can only see it on the uh, listing page. But either way, generally speaking, people can find your Amazon.com reviews. So those will will go over. They they will. I didn't, I see, I didn't know that. I thought, I thought that that was not. So are you just, are you literally just copying or telling Amazon that now you have the same listing that you want to list it over there and it automatically ports over the listing. It just converts it over to um, that country. Generally speaking, when you enter in like the name of your product, the brand name, like the basic, like mm-hmm. it's in red, here's the fields you have to fill out to start. If you're doing as individual, you can also do bulk uploads okay. as well. But basically when you put in the basic information and it includes either the ASIN or the UPC code, it will match it. And it'll even bring over the, the images and the listing description okay. Okay. and you can use those. Um, so that, that makes it pretty simple. Okay. But so now what about updating that? Now, if I want to update that listing, will that also then make the one in the US updated as well now? Does it kind of work back and forth? Does it mirror it? Or can I make changes for Canada because there are certain things that they need to know more so than the US listing? There are some some ways that you can have almost like the same listing kind of connected to each other, I tend to shy away from that. I like to keep them separate listings Mm -hmm. with separate SKU numbers because I want to have separate control. To your point, maybe there's a keyword or something I want to have in my title in Canada. And I want to have pricing also be Mm -hmm. able to flex. I don't want it to just be tied to currency changes because there's more factors involved with pricing. So I like to have everything separate. Mm. So I like to create a non-existing or I still like to connect. So it knows it's the same ASIN, but I like to have a a separate offer. Okay. So basically um, what I'm hearing is it's not that difficult to get yourself set up. Obviously you got to jump through a few hoops, but once you do that, then it's pretty much the same thing as you're doing right now. The only other um, thing that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to ship in a separate set of inventory. So maybe it's a hundred units, right? And those hundred units are going to go in there and you're going to be able to kind of get launched with those hundred units. And you might start turning on your pay-per-click as you normally would. And, and, uh, you might even, you know, who knows, maybe you already have some type of, um, 
reach over there in Canada or whatever marketplace. But if not, you just turn on your pay-per-click and see what happens. Um, and I think if we can test it with a smaller run, it's, it's easier to kind of swallow, right? Like you're like, Oh, I don't have to, I don't have to lock up another thousand units. Um, cause, exactly. that, cause that's a big one. A lot of people think that you have to do that. Like I have to have separate inventories. Now you would, you'd have to probably work it out with your manufacturer if you want to ship two different shipments or you'd have to ship them to yourself and then take the hundred units yourself and manually ship them in. And maybe in the beginning, that's what you do. But then once you validate that it'll work, then you can start to tell your manufacturer, all right, send 500 here, send 500 here or a thousand here, 500 here, whatever. Um, but you can kind of test it without having to, to do that right up front. Yeah, exactly. Now, going back to how you're going to start with a, a essentially a new algorithm. Yeah. So even if you said, okay, I just placed an order with my manufacturer and it's going to take them six weeks to get it sent into Canada and I'm going to do 8% of that thousand units just to get started. Yeah. But why even wait for that? Maybe you have some inventory that you're okay. Even if it's, let's say 20 units mm-hmm. you do as a even let's just say a multi-channel fulfillment order, which is the more expensive way to do it than a removal order. Mm-hmm. But um, let's just say you did that and you had Amazon send some to you because you didn't have a warehouse offsite. Mm-hmm. Or if you have a warehouse offsite, you can just take them out of the warehouse. Right. Either way, it's not a bad idea to take some and at least get the pump mm-hmm. primed. Mm-hmm. Because that way, when your your units get sent in, now all of a sudden, okay, the algorithm understands this is a product and it has a little bit more detail uh, of how it fits in with the other products in your that you're competing with. So it'll get up and running a little bit faster because mm-hmm. you've fed Amazon some data essentially. So it's almost like even if you didn't profit, you just broke even on something you sent in to just to send a small batch in from the US, you could at least get the pump prime. Yeah, to I mean, even if you faster. Yeah. I mean, even if you lost money, right? Like even if you spent oh, yeah. money, it's almost like you're opening a store for the first time and you're just stocking yeah. the shelves and you're just getting on the radar and you're like, you know what? I might not make any money on these units, but I've established a listing. I've established another channel and I've gotten some sales through that while I'm waiting for the inventory. Um, so I don't think that's a bad idea. And I think a lot of people are, they're still in the mindset that everything that comes through the door in the beginning is going to be profitable. It's not. All right. No. Part of running a business is advertising. How do you advertise? You either run ads or you take product and discount it so you can get some sales running through there, whether that's through your own email list, whether that's through running, you know, pay-per-click, but then lowering your price. So you show up as, you know, the, the, the least expensive, like whatever it is, you need to prime the pump. And a lot of times that costs money. It's like opening up like, like a brick and mortar. You're going to do a grand opening sale. You're going to rent a hot dog cart and a clown and this, that, and the other thing, you're going to spend a few thousand dollars, if not $10,000 to do this. So you send in 50 units and you, it costs you five bucks a unit. And you just basically spent the five bucks. Even if you didn't make your five bucks back, who cares? Right. Um, so I just, I think people need to start taking this serious as a business and that's a channel that you're testing. Um, now would you say that, um, everyone should go into every single channel? No, no, I definitely think, especially if you're doing this on your own and you're just trying to figure things out, start just with one marketplace, which I I recommend if you're in the U S just go into Canada Mm -hmm. as the next one, because it's an established marketplace. Um, the interesting thing is I've 
tried to find the exact statistic, but it's somewhere between 80 and 90% of the population of Canada is actually within a hundred miles of the U.S. Oh, wow. So they're, their, their culture is very similar. Mm-hmm. So what we like, they kind of like, mm-hmm. like maybe they just like hockey more than the average American, <laughs> right? <laughs> which I'm sure some Canadian listener yeah. probably have a lot more to say on this than, yeah, than sure. I understand. But it's true, though. at the end of the day, they have similar tastes mm-hmm. and the way they spell words mm-hmm. even is more how we spell words in the U S than say they do in the UK. Mm. Um, so I like to start into Canada, or if you're going to go into Europe, I would go into the UK before you go into some of those other marketplaces, okay. especially if, unless you speak German and you can quality control mm. translations of mm. some sort. So I like to start, especially if you're doing this on your own, start by going into Canada. Um, they're super friendly. Like if you ever have to call the Canadian government, there, it's like it's like you're calling the Four Seasons or something. Like they're so polite, <laughs> they're so nice to you. Oh, wow. um, not that the U.S. government's not nice and polite, but it's just like another yeah. layer of uh, of 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 service. So it's you not like going to the DMV. No, no, <laughs> no. It's like I think we all know what it feels like to go to the DMV. And you know what? If anyone is listening and you either work at a DMV and you're you're different, um, you you actually give people a better experience. I want to applaud you because oh, I've big time. I've never been to a DMV where they're not grumpy. And I get it, right? You're dealing with like a lot of different types of people and stuff. But man, oh man, I, I just feel like I go in there, try to be uh, positive, and you go in there and you always have. It's just a negative experience for me, anyway. Um, unless someone else has got a better experience. I mean, if you guys want to hit me up, share it with me, please do. um, You live in a different area. Um, I mean, even here in South Carolina, I've been here. Um, we've done, uh, what three car registrations had to go in there, had to get our license changed. It just wasn't a great experience, but anyway, yeah. So the, the Canadian government it's, it's is crazy. a better like experience. The Canadian revenue agency would be yeah. on the opposite end of the spectrum of the stereotypical DMV. Cause I'm sure there's some DMV in some state or yep. some county where they're just awesome and they yeah. love their job, yeah. but that's kind of what they are. Canadian revenue agency. They're nice. They're friendly. They must great. like wake up excited to come talk about taxes at work. That's, that's, that's great. Oh man, that is funny. All right, cool. Let's wrap this up. I did want to get you on because I just finished that question on Friday on Mm -hmm. 691, which was uh, really just international selling seems confusing. Should I even do it? And what do I need to know? And do you know anyone that can help me with this? And I said, actually, I do have someone that can help you with that. And I probably should get them on the show. So I actually invited you on to talk about this for that reason, but also to let people know that if they have questions or if they want to have you help them, they can now do that. So how would someone get in touch with you? I know that you're offering um, to people that obviously qualify um, a free 30-minute strategy call and really to go over their business if they're at a certain level. So how can people do that if they want to get in touch with you and kind of go through that process with you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if they wanted to, they can go to maximizingecommerce.com forward slash Scott, two T's. And um, you can fill out a form to uh, basically an application. I just want to make sure that, you know, someone is ready for, you know, selling internationally, but you don't have to be too, too far in your business. Mm -hmm. You know, it does not like you have to be a seven or eight figure seller. I mean, I was, um, I, I I was relatively new in my e-commerce journey when I went internationally. I'm glad I did. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and they can uh, apply for a free 30-minute strategy call where I'll be more than happy to walk them through what I've learned and answer any specific questions. Because oftentimes there's just like one or two questions. You're like, huh, okay. Mm -hmm. Well, that puts it in perspective. Mm -hmm. And then if they don't, um, if, if they're not, quite ready for it, you know, I'd be more than happy to send, I have a, a checklist where I go through um, those sorts of things, uh, you know, so that when they are ready, they can, uh, you know, have kind of the, the, the blueprint mapped out. Cool. No, no, that's, that's awesome. And I'm so glad that you decided to, to start uh, really helping other people um, in this because you're good at it. And uh, well, thank you. Yeah, you're very good at it. And I can see that even just with how organized you are for our event and, and, <laughs> and all of that stuff, even the legal end of that and talking with the hotel and signing contracts and all that stuff, you're really, really good at it. And it's definitely nice to have someone like that on the team. So I appreciate you. And I, I know that you're going to be able to help a lot of people that are ready um, to go to this level. Cause I know personally that, you know, this is needed. Like people need someone that they can lean on and trust to ask those questions. Even if they didn't hire you, um, you're more than willing to help. And that's really um, what I think is important. So anyway, thank you so much. And also if you want to hang out with me and Kevin in Fort Worth, Texas, you can head over to brandaccelerator.live.com because Kevin will be there. He will be speaking there on this topic, going deeper, probably giving more visual of how everything kind of fits together. And then from there, he'll be around to you know, answer any questions that you have while you're there in person. And I'm sure there's going to be other international sellers there that can actually give you some real life examples as well of what they've done, what they've learned. So it's really powerful to be there at the live event. So brandaccelerator.live.com, another reason to come. Kevin will be there. And, uh, yes. and he'll be hanging out with us. So Kevin, let's wrap this up. Uh, again, sure. if you guys want to reach out to Kevin, maximizing ecommerce.com forward slash Scott, and you'll be taken yes. to that page, go check it out. And, uh, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. I think this has been good, but, uh, yeah, we got to do it the right way, Kevin, you know how to end this thing, right? Yeah, we definitely got to end this, but before we do, I just want to say one thing, and this is just a piece of advice for anyone listening sure. is that, you know, if you want to get the results that other people aren't going to get, you have to do the things that other people won't. And mm -hmm. so for some people that might be going to live events and love it if they came to brand accelerator live, but if they didn't and they wanted to go to some other event, go to, go to a live event. Yes. Also widening that net. Mm -hmm. So you got to jump through some hoops at times, but as long if you think about, you know, the compound effect of a wider net over the course of, let's say you're planning on selling your business in three, four years. Now you'll have a whole lot more to sell mm -hmm. if you have a wider net that you can keep reinvesting back into your business, mm -hmm. whether it be selling internationally, whether it be building, you know, a brand off Amazon. So all these little things that we preach about, if you do these things when other people don't, you're mm -hmm. going to have a better end result that they're not going to have. So if you want to do the things other people can't do the things that they won't. Oh, I like that. Yes. Love it. All right, guys, that is going to wrap it up. That was great ending there, by the way, but we're going to end this Thank in you. the, uh, in the amazing seller style here. And, yes. uh, guys, remember I'm here for you. I believe in you and I am rooting for you, but you have to, you have to come on, say it with me, say it loud, say it proud. Kevin's going to say it on the count of oh, three. Yeah. Are you ready, Kevin? Let's do it. One, two, three. Take, Take action. action. Have an awesome, amazing day. And I'll see you right back here on the next episode. Not bad, Kev. Not bad. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you.